There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. This is Emily, Henley, and Sammy, and you're listening to Too Scary Didn't Watch. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Too Scary Didn't Watch, the horror movie recap podcast for those too scared to watch for themselves. I'm Emily, and I'm too scared to watch scary movies. I'm Henley, and I'm also too scared to watch scary movies. I'm Sammy, and I like watching scary movies, and so I watch them so that you don't have to, and we've been doing this for a hundred episodes now. Ah! So many episodes. And you know what that means? It's been a hundred years, because the way that time works for us. (laughs) We do one a year. We are very old. And boy, do we look good. In podcast years, we are a hundred and 30 years old. Um, and for anyone who listens on Apple or anyone anywhere that numbers our episodes, you're probably thinking, what? They hit 100 episodes a while ago. That's because we post our bonus episodes. This is our for real 100th episode. Trust us. I've got the, I've trust got the receipts. You can trust us. Um, can't believe wow. it's been 100 episodes. I can't believe it's been two years since we started doing this. It's crazy. And the majority of them have been like over Zoom. I know. I was just saying mm-hmm. that today, too, that most of the time has been in quarantine, which is so wild. Remember, remember when we could be in person together? You guys, yeah. to be honest, like right look, looking, looking back on those episodes, uh, I was very drunk for most of them. We like, were drunk a lot. <laughs> I was to be completely so, honest. So drunk from so many of them. When we were in person, I would just like accidentally drink a full bottle of wine by myself and be like, it's a Thursday night. I should go home now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. None the more so than our hereditary episode. Hereditary episode. Listeners. (laughs) I don't know if you could hear it. I don't know. You probably couldn't tell. (laughs) It's probably really hard to tell that every single person in that recording was very drunk. <laughs> but so, man, was it fun. So drunk. So drunk. Yeah, we were I, really drunk. Yeah. I. What was our cocktail for that? That's. It was because the cocktail was very It was an was almond old-fashioned because oh, yeah. of Charlie's nut allergy. Almond allergy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That episode really fucking blew my head off, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just smacked it off on a telephone pole. Yeah. Yeah, I... So a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. It's very cool, and it does mm-hmm. feel like the podcast has had like several different journeys. Like first episodes are not the same as these episodes, and like we're we're two years worth of different people now. It's very yeah, it's very crazy. Um, I like told um the people that I work with about this episode, this podcast only recently and they started listening to them my boss has listened to a few also hi Allie if you're listening to this one <laughs> um, but 
But it's part of me is like, oh my god, I need to like go back and listen to those because now it's like I'm stressed about what. You gotta <laughs> what let it go. Even was. Yeah, I think I know, just I don't let it go. I, just don't. I have had similar things of like, oh, I should remember who I know who listens to this, but then it's like I literally can't. I told you every time we record, uh, the first twenty seconds, I'm like the visual. I'm like, okay, we're recording. Don't be weird, and then I forget. And so, well, I can't. I can't count on myself to keep track of these things. No, not at all. What have been our favorite moments? Um, hmm. Oh, my favorite! My favorite episode, I feel like, is probably the Cabin in the Woods episode because I feel like we God, laughed it was really fun. hard. But the problem with that episode is, I think we were maybe a little mean to Britney Spears. I've thought about that. That has haunted me, and I hope that in people going back and listening to that one, I hope that it at least comes across that we all that we all love Britney very much. We love much. Britney so much, and. And we didn't know then quite what we know now. No, also, we didn't burning know. down your own gym with a vanilla scented candle is funny. It is funny. It was also the second time she'd burnt down uh, something with a candle. Too. Yeah, twice. <laughs> and, and look, uh, we love her. We support her. She's not in a. She wasn't in a great place then. But it is funny to burn down <laughs> your gym twice. It, it's. It is funny. Yeah. And we wish her the best. It was also her delivery when she said it. The way that she delivered it was so deadpan. Yeah. It was like she was talking about like the groceries she'd bought. She was Honestly, like, well, I think I she it funny. Yeah, she's got to. <laughs> she's got to. But yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes, too. What about you guys? I loved our, um, obviously, episode with Eugene, 30 Days of oh, Night. That was love a great it. episode. One of my favorites to go back and listen to. Truly. Mm-hmm. Laughed so hard at that one. I love one of my favorite things about that one is how much my mom loves that one. She was oh. texting me afterwards saying, This Eugene guy is so funny. And she she'll <laughs> quote is. she'll quote that episode to me. She says, Swing set in Alaska for what? Two weeks? <laughs> 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 we need to get Eugene back on the pod. We got we to. Do. He's a busy man. He's too famous for us now. He's been yeah, he's low-key. Killing it. He's he working a ton. It. And nobody deserves it more. He's nobody the best. Nobody deserves it more. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have be, it back. I want him to be the richest, most famous person in the world. If I had it my way, Eugene would be the richest, most the number famous one. person in the world. And we would be number two? Yes. Okay. Collectively. Collectively, number two. Number two. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I loved having Eugene. I mean, we've had so many wonderful people... So many wonderful people, so many people who I love so much have gotten to do our podcast and it's really, really special. I like I, a memory of mine is um, I remember laughing really hard and loving so much when um, Joel coined the term horror spondent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getting to, to do that. I think that was that the train to Busan episode. I Which also so. might have been so. the Piccolini Cuccino reveal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> Which is a big was, moment for me personally as well. That was huge. Yep. yep. And the Saw episode, Joel really knocked it out of the park for that episode. He's good. Um, yeah. That's the pig face, weak face reveal, too. Pig, pig face, weak face, 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 really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah. Listeners, we would love it very much if you, in the comments on this Instagram post. Oh, that would or be Or nice. on the Patreon, perhaps, if you tell us some of your favorite moments, favorite episodes. Yeah. Favorite guests. That would be and very exciting for us. It would be very exciting for us. And we'll, um, we love to try to get people back. We've already gotten, we got some mail um, recently. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Ginny. Um, and she told us some guests that she would like for us to have, which is very fun. And we will certainly try our best to get some of those people. And yep. 
you know, we do it for the joy. So uh, <laughs> tell us and the what mail. gives you joy and the mail. We and do the it fame. for the mail. So we do fame. it for, <laughs> for all of those things. There's a lot of reasons to do it. Yep. 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 Um, and some, some to, to clarify a few things about this hundredth mm-hmm. episode. So you did select the Amityville horror, uh, on the poll on our Instagram. And we did have a mishap in which Henley's file got deleted and so, and by Henley's file got deleted. Henley deleted that. No, file. we don't know how it happened. It's a mystery. <laughs> we it's don't, a mystery. Nobody could ever figure out how. Nobody's it at fault. Nobody's it, at fault. It it <laughs> it could have been a demon for all we know. It's happened before. It's, it's definitely happened before. Um. So I am going to edit that episode as best I can without Henley's file. So it'll be me and Emily recapping. There might be some awkward moments where we're responding to Henley, (laughs) (laughs) but you won't hear what she says. But it's like a Mad Libs of Henley. Mm -hmm. You get to imagine what (laughs) Henley was. That's fun. I like that. That's really fun. So that's going to be included at the end of this episode. Um, I'll put timestamps in the episode description if you want to skip around or skip it or whatever. Whatever you want to do, I'll give you all the information that you need. Um, but because it's our 100th episode and we wanted it to be special and obviously we wanted to have Henley here for it, we are recording another one. So this is just a very exciting two for one 100th episode. Very exciting. Mad and Libs two for one bonus everything it's gonna be great and so we we chose uh the movie that came in second on that instagram poll to recap today and that is audition Mm. and oh boy it's a real doozy this has been one that i feel like has been on the radar for a while and i'm like i can picture the poster and i'm very scared I know you said that we were really going to hate some parts of this, right? You will. You absolutely. I hate some parts of this. Wait, you do, Sammy. Yeah. There were some parts that were some of the grossest things I've ever seen. No. I didn't didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know it was that bad at all, honestly. Wait. Oh, my God. We just need to dive right in because the the tension already is getting to me. Have you seen it before, Sammy? You had No. This is is my first time seeing it. And I suggested that we also record a video episode episode for this for our patreon because i feel like your guys faces are going to be pretty pretty oh, no. uh, priceless at some points <sighs> of this so join our patreon if you'd like to see oh, the no. video version of this episode <laughs> um but okay yeah so audition came out in 1999 directed by takashi Mike, written by daisuke Teng- tengen based on a novel by ru murakami starring ro ishibashi ehi shina Tetsu Sawaki and Yoon Kunimura. Sorry about any of those names if they're not right, but I did my best. You did your yeah. best. Um, and it is available. Also sound like beautiful names. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is available on our very favorite Shutter.com. Woo! If you want to watch it, which I'm guessing you guys don't. <laughs> I have a feeling that's going to be a hard no, hard pass for me. Yeah, it's it is, especially because it's subtitled. My one escape if I watch a movie that's too scary for me is that I can just, like, look at the bottom and be like, mm. not really look. If it's subtitled, I, can, I can't do that. You got to keep your eyes open you for You got to keep thing. your eyes open. So, that's no, true. Thanks. That's true. 
Hi, everybody. It is time for our 100th cocktail hour, where we will be drinking a diamond fizz. Champagne seems like something you drink when you're celebrating an anniversary, and the 100th anniversary thing is a 10-carat diamond, so here we are. And to make a diamond fizz, you need two ounces of gin, one ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, a half an ounce of rich sugar syrup, and champagne. You shake the first three ingredients with ice and strain into a chilled glass and finish it off with champagne. Garnish with a lemon slice. Cheers and happy anniversary to us all. Um, some trivia for us when uh, you guys are not going to like this trivia. This is going to give you a little, a little sneak peek. No. So when the film was screened at the Rotterdam Film Festival in 2000, it had a record number of walkouts. At the Swiss premiere, someone passed out and needed emergency room attention. <laughs> that's always the, that's like the Eli Roth standard of yes. um, how good your horror movie is. Mm-hmm. If it makes people physic- physically ill to watch. And if you can believe it, this movie is one of Eli Roth's favorites. Boo! Boo! <laughs> no! Rob Zombie admitted he found this movie to be the most creepy and unsettling of any horror movie he's ever watched. Um, it is included in the thousand and one movies you must see before you die. Nope, I'll die. <laughs> no, no way. I have that book somewhere, but I, I have it from like 15 years ago, so it's probably out of date now. But I should go through it and see how many I've done. You've probably watched so many of them. Times. I don't know, because it's always like movies from the 50s and Mm. it's older right, movies are usually like, like half those. of it and i don't watch them a lot it's not that i don't like them it's that i feel myself getting <sighs> less and less of an attention span yeah as i'm oversaturated with social media and non-stop news and i just don't have the attention span for the way movies were back back in the beautiful pre-social media days mm. mm-hmm um, in the early 2010s, Time Out conducted a poll with several authors, directors, actors, and critics, critics who have worked within the horror genre to vote for their top horror films. Audition came in at number 18 on the top 100 oh. list. Okay. And Audition has been described as an influence on torture porn. The term was invented by David Edelston to describe... Films such as Saw, The Devil's Rejects, and Wolf Creek that offer titillating and shocking scenes that push the audience to margins of depravity for them to feel something. Mm. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, this is so much worse than I expected. I really didn't know it was like this. Oh, no. Oh, no. I also didn't realize it was torture porny. Man, now I wish I did have a drink. (laughs) (laughs) You wish we got hereditary level drunk for this one, too. Just 150 million percent. To to feel less of that. To feel less of that something. Yeah. (laughs) Are there any children in this in this movie? Um, not really. Okay. It's a confusing answer. (laughs) 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 There are, but they're not. It's. Not in a way that I feel like I have to warn you, like a trigger warning for bad things happening to kids. I guess, you know what? Honestly, trigger warning for basically everything. There's certainly a trigger warning for like sexual assault. um, Wow, okay. And yeah, you know what? One bad thing does happen to a kid. Ah! (sighs) 
God, we can't make it through one movie without a bad thing happening to a I'm small sorry, child. I'm sorry, Emily. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, Audition influenced American directors such as Eli Roth. Roth stated that Audition influenced him to make his film Hostel. Uh, with the director of this movie, uh, Takashi Miike, even making a cameo as a satisfied customer of the kidnappers who let customers torture their victims. A little bit of a plot spoiler for Hostel. Ew. Yeah. And audition has been read as feminist or misogynistic by different people based on okay. various scenes, which I honestly get. I feel like there's a case for both. And I don't know necessarily that Takashi Miike was like trying to make it either of those things. And so that's yeah. why it's both. I don't know. Okay. Okay. All right. Trying to make it misogynistic. He wasn't trying to make it misogynistic. <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to. I... <laughs> did I accidentally Don't do that? Don't blame me. I... What? I, I, I just... <laughs> so, did I reveal something about myself? I don't know. <laughs> did that just happen without me even trying? Hmm. Oops. Um, oops. <laughs> oops. And this is one that I think we should watch the trailer at the end again. Okay. Okay. Great, uh, great. Go in blind. So let's just dive right in. Let's dive right in. Okay. It's the bleakest time of the year, so you know what that means. We deserve to get cozy on the couch, rewatch our favorite TikTok videos, and drink a goddamn glass of wine. If you ever struggle to pick out the right bottle, you will love our next sponsor, Naked Wines. Did you know that when you buy wine today, most of the money goes to things like fancy packaging, big budget marketing campaigns, and tax? That is crazy. Naked Wines is a subscription service that seamlessly connects you to the finest independent winemakers on the planet. So you get a box of the market's best quality wines, however often you'd like, for a fraction of the price. And hold on to your butts, you guys, because the deal they have for you is insane. Just wait. So how do they do it? Naked Wines connects winemakers and wine drinkers directly, allowing for vineyard-to-door delivery at up to 60% off what you would normally pay in a store. By cutting out the traditional retail middleman costs and markups, winemakers can pass those savings on to you without skimping on quality. I can't stop talking about Naked Wines. I love that their quiz matches you with bottles that you love, and each shipment includes wines they recommend based on your previous ratings. I'm currently loving their organic options, especially the Chris Condos Cabernet from Mendocino County, and they've been around for 10 years, and they fund over 90 independent winemakers. So with no commitments or membership fees, you can enjoy Naked Wines hassle-free. And the best part, every bottle is a passion project from an independent winemaker, so you're literally making an independent winemaker's dream come true. So head to nakedwines.com slash too scary and enter voucher in the top right when you get to the website and put in too scary for both the code and password to get six bottles of wine for just $39.99 with shipping included. That's $100 off and less than $7 per bottle. So that's nakedwines.com slash too scary and use the code and password too scary and grab six bottles for just $39.99. One last time, that's nakedwines.com slash too scary code and password too scary for $100 off your first six bottles. 
If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Okay. We start with a little boy. Don't worry, nothing bad's going to happen to him. Um, carrying an art project to, uh, he's like in a hospital hallway and he's carrying an art project and has a note on it that says, get well soon, mommy. And we are cutting back and forth between this and a man at his wife's hospital bedside. Um, she is looks to be in a coma or non-responsive. And as he is sitting next to her, she dies. So we see her flatline oh, and sad. the little boy walks in just after she has died. And him and his dad look at each other and he realizes what happens. And then we cut to seven years later. And the father and son are fishing. The son is now about 17. Uh, the dad's name is uh, Oyema. And the son's name is Shigehiku. Uh, Shigehiko. They're fishing and they catch a pretty big fish. And as they're taking it home, Shigehiko says it's, you know, too big for them to eat this family of two, a single dad and his son. So there's like a lot of kind of mentioning, you know, there's something missing in our household. And at dinner that night, as they can't finish their fish, Shigehiko says, like, maybe it's time for you to look for a wife again and get married again. Like, you've seemed lonely and like you're looking really tired. Like, I feel like it's time for you to start dating again. Um, They also have a very cute dog. <laughs> oh, of course. A little beagle named Gangu. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go out. I, I don't want anything to happen with this dog. That's not what I'm trying to say. But um, beagles aren't my favorite kind of dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, like, cool. fuck, the, f- fuck this beagle. <laughs> Can I say that? It's just like some people really love beagles. And for me, it's just like fine. I'm so sorry if you're listening and you have a beagle. It's not my favorite dog. I think everyone's allowed to have a, a least favorite dog. Can I, I don't like pugs. And that's something Fair. that oh. people sometimes get mad about but it's the truth and if you're listening and you truth. have a, and you have a pug i'm sorry it's your truth and it's the truth and that's fine and fair. i have i have a pretty people like controversial different things. yeah opinion about dogs which is that i don't really like any dog that has like short hair like too oh, short of hair interesting <laughs> like i'm like, like if you're like <laughs> you're gonna get a dog like get one that's like get like a fluffy dog what like, are you why doing are you... with a short haired dog <laughs> like why What's waste your time point? why waste your time with a short haired dog <laughs> like it, it might as well be soft right yeah if you're gonna cuddle it do you not care about cuddling do you want to cuddle something with short hair I don't know I told this to Tim recently and he looked at me like I was a sociopath so <laughs> I'm sure I think it makes perfect sense Henley. thank you i think so okay too. anyway all right so none of us like this dog 100 episodes in we're really letting loose with whatever <laughs> people aren't gonna like us anymore <laughs> time to show the real us we hate dogs <laughs> um 
And okay, so uh, Oyema goes to work the next day and his assistant comes in and or no, it's as he's leaving work, his assistant comes up to tell him something as he's about to get into the elevator. And she says that she's getting married and she says it in kind of a way that almost seems like she's expecting him to be mad. And he looks a little taken aback by it, but he's like, oh, that's great. Congratulations. And we're kind of wondering, is there some sort of romantic history here? Like, what's going on? And she she uh, leaves him. He gets into the elevator and just kind of has a look on his face like pensive. I don't know. Just he's kind of mm. thinking about that. Um, then after work, he gets a drink with his friend Yoshikawa, who is in the film industry. And this is like a very, it's like these two men at the bar. They're in their mid forties. There's a group of women laughing in another part of the bar. And Yoshikawa says like, "Ugh, like such common women. Like, where are all the good, where have all the good women gone? Like, every, every woman is just like, I don't know. It's so a common. Little, little, yeah, common. It's, They're having the same conversation we're having about dogs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But about mm-hmm. women. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a feminist movie. Yeah, so <laughs> well, it reads feminist to me. Well, um, and so Oyama says that he's thinking about getting married again. And, Yoshikawa asks, what kind of woman are you looking for? And basically has this laundry list of qualities he wants in a woman. And he's like, well, she's got to be beautiful. And I'd like her to be have some accomplishments under her belt, some like talents. Like, I think his his um, previous wife was a very skilled pianist. And he says something about how having like a good skill. Gives you confidence and um and maturity and so he wants someone that has something that um yeah something that like a passion basically um and not that they have to be like super successful because of that but just he thinks that fosters maturity um and but he's saying you know i wish i could just meet a whole bunch of women so i could find the perfect one and Yoshikawa says, I've got an idea. Sounds like what you need is an audition. And he says, we'll set up an audition and make the part for a woman age tw- 20 to 35, which uh, Oyema is in his 40s. 40, his son 45. is 17. That's right. <laughs> um, and so Yoshikawa like brings out an old script that they had of about a ballet dancer and says this will be it'll be a real film and so it won't be under false pretenses like this will be a real thing like we'll try to get funding for this film and obviously whoever let's, let's have a whole film just so you can meet a bunch of women let's it's quite a, a wild the easiest proposition. possible way to do it <laughs> yeah yeah this is, is not efficient at all but okay no and so he says, obviously, whoever gets the part, like, w- wouldn't date you. Like, she's going to be out of your league. She's going to be busy doing a movie. <laughs> but yeah. probably yeah. one of the ones that make it to the final round. That That's so maybe 10 out of a thousand. You can choose from them. 
Which is just so funny to be like, what, they'll this obviously is like what they did, date you. Yeah, before yeah, Tinder. Like, what if she chooses you? <laughs> How does right. that work? Also, they've just come up with The Bachelor. Yeah. But yeah. like, but also lying to with all the women, of the women. With the wi- yeah, with the women not, not knowing, knowing that they're in a game. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. also true. Okay, fine. Um, so they play the casting call on the radio and we see Oyema in his car, like listening to it. And we also see a little girl in her room listening to it. It's basically oh. saying the next, I can't remember what, what it says, but it's basically like, could you be the next famous, the next Julia Roberts come try out for this part and find out. Um, so a bunch of women applied to this part and, uh, Yoshikawa sends Oyema a, basically stacks of portfolios of what these women have sent in with like their headshot, uh, their resume, and they each had to write an essay about why they want this part. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And Yoshikawa says, pick 30. And they'll basically schedule those 30 on the same day. So you can come in on your scheduled day and see all of the women that you want to, um, that you pick. And he says, don't just go by the picture, read their essay. Right. Let's be good about this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't just go by the picture. We got to make this process work. Mm -hmm. And so he's uh, going through all of these different portfolios at at his desk at home And he has a photo of his dead wife on his desk and he like turns it around like he looks a little ashamed that he's doing this in front of her, turns it face away from him and gets back to it and comes across the um, the, a photo of this girl that catches his eye. Her name is uh, Asami Yamasaki. She is 24 and very beautiful. She has 12 years training in ballet. Um, but broke her hip or something and had to give up ballet. And so her essay is about how she says she doesn't know if she could be an actress, but she was drawn to the part because it's about a a ballerina. And she said, you know, I was a, a ballerina for 12 years and losing ballet was like, in a way, accepting a type of death, like a part of me died when I lost that part of my life and it's written very uh, beautifully and Oyema is very taken with it. And this is clearly the, the maturity he's looking for. And you know where else you get maturity? A woman your age. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Age. Yeah. So he, and I think he's also seeing a kind of this like reflecting on death and accepting death. He's, Comparing that to losing his wife and so relates to that. So this is clearly... It's hidden home. It's hidden home. This is his top choice. And also during this time, we see Shigehiko, his son, has a girlfriend over and uh, he doesn't see that his dad is going... He doesn't know that his dad is doing this, but he can see that his dad seems kind of excited and he is happy for him. Like, are you dating again? Like, this is so great. And... um. Shigehiko has In this. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> the women don't know, but. Could be. But... 
<laughs> and so Shigehiko has a girlfriend over as well. So it's like father and son, both smitten with their <laughs> respective ladies, one who is completely unaware. Um, and then we get to audition day and there's the 30 chosen women come in and Asami is near the end. She is like number 28. So we basically just get a montage of Yoshikawa asking really inappropriate questions to these women that is, it's like has nothing to do with an audition. Like what kind of men do you like? What kind of men do you hate? Um <laughs> I wrote down some of the questions. What does your father what do? What men do you hate? What does your father do? Yikes. Um, have you ever had loveless sex? Would you work oh, in the sex industry? Would you do sex scenes? Um, it's gross. Like, the whole thing is very inappropriate. And have you ever had loveless sex? Ew. Ew. I hate men. And I also just <laughs> hate... I hate the world we live in. Yeah. It's so gross. Yeah. This is very, like, patriarchal. Like, we get to... Bullshit. Decide yeah, which charge. of these young, <sighs> beautiful women we get to date. <laughs> and marry. Ew. Ew. And Oyama is not really asking any questions in in this. He's he's just watching. And uh, then eventually we get to Asami. She comes in and Oyama perks up and he's very excited to see her. And this is the first one that he asks her questions. Um, first, Yoshikawa asks her, do you have an agent? Do you have representation? And she says, there says, um... Not an agent, but there is a man at a record label that looks after me, and his name yeah. is Mr. Shibata. I haven't been in contact with him uh, in a while, um, and they say, like, where exactly does he work? And she gives, him, gives them that information, and they ask her, what do you do for work? And she says, I work a few nights a week at a bar that is owned by my friend, um, and... They ask her, like, how she's able to live off that. She says, oh, I'm like, don't I don't need to be rich. I just want to, like, modest life. Just want to be happy. And Oyama's like, you can see just the stars in his eyes. He is falling in love. And he, he chimes in and says, um, can I ask you about your ballet? And she says, yes. And... He basically just says, I read your essay and it was very beautiful. Um, you sound like a really old soul. Basically just goes on and on about how much he loved her essay. None of it is a question. And he just says how much he loves the essay. And she looks like, please. And she's like, oh, thank you so much. That's very sweet of you. Um, and, and then th that's the end of the audition. They thank her and she walks out. And Yoshikawa is kind of looking at Oyema, like he knows he must like her more than the others because he is acting different with her. And Oyama says, like, what do you think of what did you think of her? And uh, Yoshikawa said, she made me pretty nervous. I can't quite put my finger on it, but something seemed a little off about her. She's like comes in sitting up very straight and she's wearing all white and she speaks really softly. Um, but uh -huh. so she she immediately unnerves Yoshikawa. And Oyema, not at all. He's like, I think she's great. I think she's perfect. Like, we don't need to see the rest of the women. Like, this is... She's the one. Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. 
So, and later that night, Oyama calls Asami that she, he has the phone number from her, um, portfolio that she sent in. And he asks if they can talk later. Um, and like basically asks to set up a meeting and she says she's free the next day. So they go and meet up at a, at a little restaurant and, or no, before that, before that, um, Yoshikawa calls Oyama to say, I just checked her reference that she gave about Mr. Shibata. Mr. Sh- Mr. Shibata went missing 18 months ago. Like, uh, that's right pretty around. weird. And Oyama's like, okay. Not my problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I love her. Down. <laughs> and so at their uh, lunch or wherever their little date is, it is the first thing Oyama- I will say, though, it's like, she could have just said, no, I don't have an agent. Right. To be like, yeah, it's this guy. Don't look him up. <laughs> yeah, it's really probably it's not the best. It's man from a record label. It's I haven't heard from him in a while. Probably not a, a record big deal. label, yeah. Are you a singer? Or like, what's... Okay. Yeah, it's weird. Sure. But so, sure. Oyama asks her about that first thing when they meet and says, by the way, we like checked in Mr. Shibata. Um, like, how do you know him? Um, and she says, she kind of bows her head looking a little embarrassed. And she says, you know, someone told me it would be good to say that I had representation. So I didn't mean to lie, but I have, I did know him, but I haven't seen him in years. Um, but I just thought I should say someone. So I seemed more professional. And Oyama's like, great. I knew there was going to be an explanation. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And she seems very smitten as well on this meeting and when they get up to leave she asks him can we do this again sometime like i haven't had anyone to talk to this was so nice like i've been alone for so long it's been really nice to be able to have a a talk with you and so they both seem pretty smitten and the next day he meets up with yoshikawa to um talk about it and again, Yoshikawa is saying, you know, I don't know, I've got a bad feeling. It just seems weird. And like none of her references added up and just like go easy on it. And like, don't call her for a bit, like wait a few days, at least, at least like settle down a bit. And Oyama says like, okay, um, like, but he's very pretty certain he's like if she's trouble like i'll be able to handle it and i think i trust my own judgment better than i trust other people's judgment so i'll make that and this thing we did was good and smart and i stand stand by it yeah i kind of thought yoshikawa was the one who was gonna end up being like problematic but so far it might seem like he's the voice of reason all of a sudden he might be he might be the voice of reason right now yeah so we see oyama kind of that night looking at the phone looking at the her phone number and he is holding himself back from calling her you can see that he really wants to call her but he doesn't and we then see her in her apartment just it's like an empty apartment no furniture with just the phone on the floor and she's just sitting straight up staring at the phone Oh, great. Fun. That's fun. (laughs) And there is a large sack in the room that 
looks like it could contain a, a person. It's a person-sized sack. <laughs> okay. As soon as you said a large, a large sack, I was like, there's nothing but a body in there. Nothing there's but a body in that sack. <laughs> um, and we see him go to work the next day. Again, he keeps looking at that phone and deciding not to call. It's hard for him. He really wants to call her. He doesn't call her again the next day. Again, we cut to her still sitting, just staring at the phone. Uh, we see him looking at his phone at nighttime, not calling. Next morning, or next night after work, he is in his office, stares at his phone, and finally decides to call. And we see her in, her, in the same spot like hunched over as if she's just fallen asleep sitting up. And it's this very creepy shot of her spine. Like we get a above shot, just her, her spine curled over as she's kind of sleeping, sitting up. And as the phone rings, we get go to a close up of her hair or of her face kind of covered by her hair. And she just slowly starts smiling. Then the phone oh, rings. Oh my God. <laughs> and lifts her head up and we see a, a, a wider view of the whole room and the sack starts moving and it is in fact a person inside of it and they're kind of grunting and moving around like the the phone has woken them up and she answers it and they make a plan to meet up again um and so they go i guess the next day to on another date and she says i can't stop smiling i'm so happy that you called i thought i would never oh, hear from you again like you might think that I sound like some clingy woman, but I just I really enjoyed our time together last time. And I really uh, thought I might not hear from you again. So I'm like so happy that you called. And oh, Jesus Christ, this is going to be such a long haul. <laughs> like we are just aware it's going to get so bad. It's going to get bad. It's going to get it's going to get so bad. Yep. Um, <laughs> so he asks her about her family and she says they don't talk much, but they're fine. She says we're a pretty average family. We're not super close, but also we don't fight or anything. And he asks her about the bar that she works at. She says it's called the Stone Fish. Um, and he asks if he could come by sometime to visit her while she's working. And she says, I wish you could, but the owner tends to likes to meddle in my personal life. And I think that if you came, it would be um just annoying for both of us because she kind of likes to insert herself into my personal life and he says okay that's fine like i want to respect your boundaries that's no problem and and it cuts to them on another date we get we're getting kind of a montage of them going on multiple dates as they're getting to know each other um on another date she's talking about how ballet was uh her life helped her get through difficult times and losing it was really, really difficult for her. And he tells her, you know, it'll be hard to get over, but one day you'll find life is really beautiful and worth living. And that's why people, you know, push through these times. He's, of course, uh, relating this from his loss of his wife and how hard it was to get over that. But he has found reason to keep living. And... She's touched by this and says, you understand and accept me like no one else ever has. Um, and on one of these dates, he says, I'll give you a ring. And she says, I look forward to it. So we see that they are 
um, at a point where they're discussing getting married. Do you think... Just now I was reminded of... about to ask a question that really reminded me of how those guys in that days. Do you think it would be so easy to just, like, trick a man into thinking you're perfect? Oh, to, like, catfish a man, kind yeah, of, Yeah, do you think way? it would be very easy? It was <laughs> reminding me of Gone Girl. Yeah, I think it yeah. would be very easy. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be easy. Yeah, you just nonstop compliments and Yeah, and like I've never felt this way before. Wow, it's you're making me see me. Or you just you just act super interested in any everything they're interested in and that's it. It'd be that's so easy. Do. I don't think it would be easy for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it would be like in a, if you had no, to do but a like, situation. Yeah, if someone was like, "Do you think that you could?" Not, "Do you want yeah. to?" And will you? Yeah, but like, could you? Yeah, I of think course. that I could. Yeah, of course, of course, you could. Any woman could, and uh, not any man, but most men. men. Gone Girl is, I think, my favorite book of all time. I dang, I haven't read it in so long, but it makes me want to revisit. Reread it. it. It's great. Um, and that's, that's what. That's what she does. That's right? what she does. She like plays yeah. the cool girl and she is like mm-hmm. acting the entire time of their courtship and yeah. beyond. And it's just written so well. Oof, yeah. You'd be very interested in everything they're interested in. And you like look hot all the time, but go, oh, I, I wish I was like hot, like cool, hot mm-hmm. girls. And then they're like, oh, my God, she doesn't even know she's so hot. <laughs> I have the perfect woman. Mm-hmm. Easy. None of us are going to do that. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do what this person does in this movie or what We're not going to do it. Rosamund Pike does in Gone Girl. Just We're know not. that we could. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we settled on that. Me too. Me too. I'm glad I brought it up. I feel good about it. <laughs> no regrets over here. Um, Oyema tells his son about her for the first time like he he reveals like oh, i've met a woman i think i am gonna ask her to marry me we're going away this weekend i'm gonna ask the question there mm. uh his son is really happy for him and or i think oyama says like i'll introduce you to her and i'll introduce you to her soon and um his son says you know I'll, well, I'll tell you if she's the one because you're in love so you're not thinking straight so like i'll be the i'll be the better judge and they had share a nice smile. Like, we're all just so happy and everything is so good. <laughs> everything oh, is so good. So, and it's going to stay that way like it always does. Mm-hmm. It's not at all going to switch right pretty soon here in a second. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so they go away for the weekend. They go to a very beautiful um, hotel, kind of an oceanfront hotel. And they arrive in the evening and... Oyama's kind of saying his plans for the night, like there's an art gallery nearby and there's a good restaurant near it, so we can do that. And as he's saying this, she just turns the lights off in the room and gets naked and gets into bed. And he kind of is stunned and doesn't really know what to do and sits uh, in the chair across the room from her. She eventually says, come here. And he walks to the side of the bed. She's covered herself with a sheet, so um, he's standing beside her. And she says, I want you to see all of me. And she lifts the bottom part of the sheet to reveal she has two 
burn scars on her inner thigh. And she says, I burned myself when I was a child. Like, I want you to, I want, I want to show you everything about me. I want you to know me. And, um, he is moved by this, this vulnerability of hers. And she looks at him and says, I want you to love me and me alone. No one else but me. And he nods like, yep, I will. Which is like, oh, stress. What a question to ask of someone. (laughs) Me and me alone. Oh, my God. So um, then they. Oh, my God. She she pulls him into the bed and they have sex. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night to the phone ringing and answers it. And. It's the hotel concierge saying your acquaintance or whatever has left. And so I just want to make sure that you're staying for the weekend. And we look over and Asami is gone and he he is just alone in the hotel room. He's super confused. He go he goes home. He meets up with Yoshikawa again, ask his, asks him if he can help her, him find her. And he said, no, I, I told you, like, everything on her resume was all kind of dead ends. Like, I couldn't reach anybody on it. And so he, Oyama looks again through her portfolio, and it says the name of the ballet studio that she, she went to for 12 years. So he decides he'll go to the ballet studio. Oh, God. And he, he gets there, and it is boarded up. Looks like it has been closed for quite some time, but he hears piano coming from inside. And so he's kind of yelling through through the window, hello, and he pries off some of the boards that are boarding it up enough to be able to slide the door open and walk inside. Oh, God. And inside we see a man in a wheelchair playing piano. And this man's vibe is very creepy. He's got um, incense burning, like the long sticks of incense, mm-hmm. like a bunch of them burning. And that would be too much smell. I know it's a it's yeah, a, that's lot. a lot of smell. one of those is often too much yeah, smell. One, one is too much. One I usually got to blow out or put in the other room. It gets overwhelming too quickly. There's nothing. That's the scariest part of this movie so far. <laughs> we gotta, yeah, just leave. Leave that's right too away. Too, too much smell. Too much incense. Uh, so. Uh, Oyama comes in and says, hi, like, hi, excuse me. I am looking for someone. I'm wondering if you can help me find her. Her name is Asami. She used to do ballet here. And the man, without turning around, just <laughs> starts laughing. Oh, no. <laughs> just starts laughing and then slowly turns around and says, have you seen her? And Oyama says, Yes. And the man laughs some more. He basically just asks a question and then laughs and laughs. He says, have have you heard her voice? Yes. He laughs. Have you touched her body? Oyama looks uncomfortable, like this is an intrusive question and he's getting creeped out. And the man says, have you made love to her? How was it? Did you smell her? And because me, I love smell. Me, I love smells. I can't get enough of smell. I'm all about smells. <laughs> um, and then we get a flashback of 
young Asami, like a, a seven-year-old Asami doing ballet, dancing around in this room. And then we see this man kind of crawling out of his wheelchair with the incense sticks. And he grabs her leg and burns her on the inner thigh with them. And so these that's where she got her scars. And wait, wait. So the ballet went, I'm confused. Where did this man come from? She was just doing ballet by herself. And this man just appeared out of nowhere and burned her. At this point, I thought he was the ballet like instructor or owned the studio okay. or something. But we will get an answer a little later. He burned. Okay. So her burn can't be that big. From incense, yeah, it seems just, just weird to little, burn someone like, with incense. It's big. It's it's um, it's like the whole incense is basically on fire. So it's like oh, two okay. eight inch long strips of burn. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's upsetting. So it's clear that whoever this man is abused her as a child, and we flash back to present day of Oyema in this studio. And the man stands up and we see that he has prosthetic feet that are so gross. They almost look like fake skin that's like stitched up. It looks like something out of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre feet. And there's a t they're attached to little boards on the bottom that are um, like little shoes, little platforms or something. But um, they're just uh, never seen prosthetic feet like this. Terrifying. They're scary. Terrifying. Very scary. And he basically uh, tells Oyema, go away, get out of here. Oyema's freaked out. He leaves. And he uh, then decides to ch try to check out the stone fish, the bar that she says she works at. Oh, so uh, Don't. Don't do that. <laughs> buddy, don't buddy, do that. buddy, buddy, buddy. So he goes and f he tracks it down and finds it. It's also closed down. Um, <laughs> there's nobody there, but there's a neighbor that comes out that lives right next door to it and kind of says, oh, closed down, just like closed for the day or like not. In no, operation? not in operation. And okay. so the, he, he uh, we see Oyama like trying to get inside of it. And the neighbor guy, but you got to stop. <laughs> they don't want you in there. You, what, what are you doing? Do you think she's just going to be hanging out in there? Just like, right. oh, you found me and my clothes down for a place of work. <laughs> the first one was bad. Yeah. Yeah. The first one was really bad. Was bad. Um, and okay, man. So this neighbor comes out and says, oh, that's it's been closed down for over a year. The owner was murdered. And... <laughs> And Oyama looks really confused and is like, well, do you know Asami that worked there for three? She used to work there three nights a week. She's like, my dude, yeah, she was lying to you. She's mm -hmm. very much yeah. lying to you. <laughs> and of course, this guy's like, mm, no, I don't remember. It was usually just the owner. She usually works there by who herself. Once again, was murdered. Was murdered. Was murdered. Was murdered. And who you yeah. were told recently is not dead. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, yeah. Let's put two and two together here. Yeah. So, Oyama then asks, why was she murdered? What, what, what do you know about the murder? And he says it was something to do with her lover, who was a music producer or something, which could, could that be uh, Mr. Shibata? Probably. Mm -hmm. um, and he says the body was cut up into pieces 
And because this building is at kind of an angle, we saw blood pouring out of the front door of the bar because of the slant. And when the police came, the strangest thing is that they found three extra fingers, an extra ear, and an extra tongue. And what the fuck? Oyema has like a vision of it, like pictures it, and it, it shows like a tongue flopping around in a pool of blood and f- with fingers and an ear in it. And he, he like gets super freaked out and uh, like stumbles backwards. And then we cut to a POV outside of Oyema's house. And a POV just watching as his housekeeper leaves, basically feeds the dog and leaves. And so now the house is empty. And we see this POV go inside of the house and find the photo of his uh, dead wife on his desk and like slams the photo down like this photo's made her mad and then goes downstairs and find and looks at his um bottle of like nice whiskey and then we we hear a voicemail from shigehiko his son saying that he's out for the night he's staying at a friend's house um and don't forget to feed gangu when he comes out of hiding i couldn't find him and so oyama comes home to this he's had quite the day he pours himself a big old glass of whiskey Sits down, starts, takes one sip of it, and then immediately starts feeling funny and kind of looking around and we see his fingers kind of twitching a little bit like this sip of alcohol is hitting him a lot harder than it should. And then he stands up and is kind of stumbling, trying not to fall. He makes it to the doorway and falls backwards and like hits his head and it begins this series of hallucinations that are somehow also factual things. It's a little confusing. So okay. it goes first back to their first date as he's asking about her family. And she says her parents divorced when she was young and she was sent to live with her uncle when she was seven and that she was abused by him and his wife. His wife would give her cold baths in the winter. She would get pneumonia. His wife one time pushed her down the stairs, broke her shoulder. um, And eventually, eventually the police um, figured it out. And she was sent to live back with her mother. But her mother was remarried and her stepfather hated her. And he said, she says, my stepfather was in a wheelchair. He he didn't have... um, any feet and he was also abusive to me so this is her we're putting together that that was her stepfather at the did he not put that together when he met this man who was in a wheelchair well, with no feet i um i think yeah pretty huge coincidence <laughs> i huh, another man in a wheelchair with no feet yeah yeah maybe he did i don't know but is the idea that he's just been like so enamored with her all this time that he's not picked up on the clues sort of yeah. but there are things that are still coming that are things that there's no way he would know about okay. that he is still learning okay. through a hallucination Oh, okay. Sure, sure, sure. So she talks more about her stepfather, says that she would hide in her closet all day long and not make a sound until her mother came home. 
And she says, dancing, he says like, oh my God, you've been through so much. Um, and she says, dancing calmed and purified my ugly feelings. And it's, that's probably why I didn't kill myself. And he's looking at her and says, I think you're wonderful. And as Yikes. he says that, he notices his wife at the table next to him saying, darling, and he looks confused and then gets up and starts introducing his uh, wife to Asami. His wife's name is Ryoto. And he's like, Ryoto, this is Asami. And Ryoto looks at him and says, not her, not her. Like, don't marry her. Anybody but her, like, please don't marry her. Um, and then he is all of a sudden in Asami's house where we have seen her staring at the phone with the sack in there and Asam Asami is there and looks at him and says I want you and like aggressively goes for him starts ripping off his pants starts performing oral and then he looks down and it's all of a sudden his assistant who uh, came up to him earlier telling him that she was getting married and she's crying and she says it was a mistake, wasn't it? Like, I thought you actually liked me. You slept with me once. I thought it was going to go somewhere, but it didn't mean anything to you, did it? And he says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then it becomes his son's girlfriend. And uh, she is trying to go down on him and he's trying to push her away. And as he is stumbling away, he trips over the body in the bag and we hear it moaning and he comes back toward it to untie it and out crawls a man oh boy you guys <laughs> no don't even tell this, us no tell us part, yeah, don't tell us i gotta tell you but it's <laughs> not good so out comes okay. a man with no feet um missing three fingers missing an ear and missing a tongue. Missing a tongue. And so he uh -huh. can just, he's just making these horrible moaning sounds. Uh-huh. And, um. And then that's uh, it. And then that's it. The roll credits. <laughs> and, then and that's all you have to say. <laughs> I wish. Oh, I wish. Emily, I wish that were the, I wish that oh, no. were the case. But unfortunately, there's more I have to say. Okay. So he's horrified by what he sees, this this man, and is kind of crawling backwards. And then in the kitchen, we see Asami making herself vomit into a dog food bowl. And she throws up into this dog food bowl and then brings it to the man who, like, inhales it. It's like, because he doesn't have a tongue, so Ew. he's just going, <laughs> like, inhaling Ew. vomit. Oh, my God, it's so gross. Ew. it's like Ew. one of the worst things i feel like i've ever seen it's so bad and i mean ew i hate this so and much it, they for and it's they show everything so they had a man with no tongue or at least somehow made it look like it like he has stitches in his mouth with no tongue and <laughs> oh, stop Emily, why are we doing this to I ourselves? Know. I don't know. We've it's done it 100 times, Emily. 100 times. <laughs> this is particularly this bad. This is really though. bad. Yeah, this one's, this is bad. Um, and then it 
flashes to or it changes to seven-year-old Asami sitting next to this man slurping up the vomit and she like looks back at uh, Oyema and he's horrified look watching this scene happen and then it cuts to um again the stepfather crawling towards her with the incense in his hand saying dance you bitch dance bitch and it becomes adult uh Asami again and she sits down kind of ritualistically spreads her legs to the same part that he burns her at and lets him burn her she screams, then Oyema kind of runs to try to help her, saying Asami, and um, then it changes to a different room, and we're back in the room with the piano at the ballet studio with the stepfather playing piano, and we see Asami walking in behind him with a piano wire. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. I don't want to know. And Wait, we got to stop here. <laughs> I mean, you can guess what she what she's going to do. She wraps the wire around his head. He does not react. He kind of lets her. He can feel that it's happening. And she says as she wraps it around his neck twice and starts pulling on the ends to tighten it and it starts slicing into his neck he continues to play piano <laughs> and no. she says this can slice through bone so easily and why what <laughs> and he's he says i think you're wonderful and then she slices his head off and it rolls forward onto the piano. And we go back to Oyema, like, waking up from this hallucinatory sequence back in his house where he has fallen over, kind of in his living room. And he can't seem to move. And he's looking around and sees through an open door Asami getting dressed in some kind of rubber gloves and a rubber apron <laughs> looks like... Real bad doctor gear. Spooky doctor oh, outfit. No. <laughs> a spooky doctor. Oh, no. This is so gross. Yeah. Does it, gonna get, get a, does it get a lot worse? It doesn't get a lot worse, but it kind of stays at this level of bad for the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it's, it, this is kind of the, the final scene. Oh, this is the final scene. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So we're at the final scene. We're, we've made it. How far into the movie are we right well, now? Well, that's... Part of what's interesting about this movie is it's two hours long, and for the first hour, it kind of plays like it could be a romantic comedy of, like, these two zany guys setting up an audition to find a girlfriend. <laughs> and so it, I'd say the part where she is sitting and smiling as the phone rings is the first kind of creepy moment that we know that this isn't a romantic comedy, and that's after the halfway point. So it's a pretty slow mm. burn until okay. this okay. final sequence, which it's about okay. the last half hour that it's all bad. Okay. It's all bad in the last okay. half hour. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let's all right. go. Let's go. Let's okay. Just all right. All right. We can do it. Okay. We can do it. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> so he sees her through the doorway, gearing up with some creepy doctor gear, and sees at her feet a dead gongu. She has killed the dog. 
We didn't care about that dog, though, so who no, fucking cares? Care. <laughs> Eagles. Uh, Go to hell. <laughs> um, Short-haired dog. Who fucking cares? <laughs> who fuck cares? <laughs> uh, she comes out and lays down a big kind of tarp thing, rolls him onto it, explains to him, you can't move, you're paralyzed, but you'll still be able to feel everything that I'm about to do. And uh, only in pain... Um, in pain, there is truth. Like you can't, you can't hide from pain, the truth of pain or something like that. She's basically saying you lied to me. You're just like all the rest of them. You said you'd love only me and you don't, you will have love in your heart for your son and for your ex-wife or your dead wife. <laughs> and she is not happy about that. So. Oh, wow. She has dealt with some serious trauma in her life. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. she um okay okay she she gets him he's laying on his back he can't really move um and mm. she's fill, she fills up a syringe with something this is the cover shot of her just kind of looking over her shoulder with the syringe very creepy and she comes around to his head grabs his tongue and injects the syringe into his tongue while he's, like, screaming. Um, I will say his, like, being paralyzed is not a full paralysis, seemingly. He can kind of twitch and and uh, talk and a little bit groan and yell. So it's a fictional thing anyways. I guess there's nothing that can paralyze you and make you still feel things in this way. But I feel like I've seen other movies where you're That's a relief. fully paralyzed that's a huge relief that's a big relief that's a huge relief yeah, yeah. uh okay. so she injects something into his tongue which i kind of assume is something that will then help her cut out his tongue because we know she likes to do that but first we see that she has a big container of needles which look like they're like oh emily i'm five sorry inch <laughs> needles and as someone who just started going to acupuncture, <laughs> I was really not pleased with this scene. So she's talking about pain and she says, your stomach is the most sensitive part. And she opens his shirt and oh, no. we see her press a needle into his stomach. He's screaming and she's pushing it pretty deep. And she says, kitty, 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 which means deeper, deeper, deeper. And she's saying it very gleefully, like she is having a great time. And she is just one at a time sticking a needle into his stomach going, kitty, 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 kitty. Oh like sounds, sounds like kitty, 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 but it's K-I-R-I. And he is um, screaming in pain, but he can't move. And she basically gets like 20 needles into his stomach. Oh, my God. It's a lot. Oh my Ugh. god, I'm just shutting down right now. I'm fully shut emotionally shutting down. Yeah. I've disassociated. It's yep, it's happened. Proud of you, Hen. Gets a little bit worse here. So <laughs> she's straddling him, and after she has 20 needles in his stomach, she scoots forward past all of the needles, like smushing them all to a flat angle, which is like the fucking Oh my god, I cringed. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. How am I going to go to acupuncture? <laughs> it was so bad. No, no, you can't. He screams. So she basically sits on top of the needles um, and then has 
more needles and she starts poking them into his face and doing saying kitty 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 and she brings up his son again and is basically says um if shigehiko suffers you'll see you'll see what i feel or something like that and like i gave you my entire self and you didn't give me your entire self you lied to me and pulls back to reveal she has been sticking the needles right under his eyes <sighs> And she says the skin below your eyes is the other most sensitive. And it shows all of it. Like, it's, it, we're seeing it. <laughs> like, and it doesn't look fake. It looks bad. Um, and so he now, she, she gets up this. and we see that he's just got needles sticking all out of his stomach and his face, blood coming out of him. And she grab, goes over to her little doctor bag, grabs what looks like, kind of a handcuff thing and puts it around his ankle like a like she's making a tourniquet and she then pulls oh out oh god her piano wire oh god oh no and says you can't go anywhere without your feet no 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 wraps the piano wire a couple times no. around his ankle and no, starts no, going no no <laughs> No, 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 and she says, um, my right foot next, uh, and starts moving the tourniquet to the other ankle to cut off that foot. And as she's doing that, we hear Shigehiku come home and say, no, no, no. and say, dad, my oh, friend no. got sick. Here's this whole thing. And oh, so no. I'm home. Oh, no. And he, we see oh, no. Oima like trying to yell. He can't yell, but he just looks completely panicked. And, uh, Asami, like, quickly, uh, we see her move to her bag and grab some sort of spray, like maybe a spray that would make someone go unconscious or something. Um, and she goes and hides in a, in a little closet in the room. And Shigehiku walks in, sees, no! sees his dad, and is just super freaked out. What dad, what's happening? And we see, uh, Asami come out from the closet behind him. Uh, Shigehiku can't hear her, and Oyama's like trying to say, like, she's right behind you, his eyes widen, and just oh, man, as Asami sprays, Oyama wakes back up in the bed the night that they had sex, and she is next to him, and he, f like, is freaking out, and, like, pulls the sheets up to look at his feet, he's got both feet, he, uh, is looking at her, she's asleep, he's He's doesn't know what's happening. He goes to the bathroom. He's like splashing water on his face. She walks in and says, like, are you OK? Is everything all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's totally everything's fine. And they go back into bed and she says, I've been thinking about your question. I've decided to accept your proposal. Um, I am so happy. Is it like, how can one girl be so happy? I feel like it's not fair that I can be this happy. And Oyama's face is just 
stunned, like he's in shock, doesn't know what's happening. Asami lays on his stomach and they're falling asleep. His eyes close and then you hear kitty 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 and he wakes back up where he was with Shigehiku uh, just having been sprayed by Asami but she kind of sprays in the wrong direction and he is able to whip away from her and looks like what the fuck are you doing and she dives at him again trying to spray this in her face he runs from her runs upstairs and kind of trips on the top stair and turns around to face her as she's coming at him with the spray and he kicks her backwards off the stairs and it's like one of those shots you know in action movies where it shows it from like four different angles and it's like pew uh-huh. pew pew, pew, <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> and she fucking flies off this staircase and lands basically on her neck and again it shows it and we see kind of a bone not break not broken the skin in her neck but there is a big lump in her neck where we can see that the bone has broken. And Shigehiku runs downstairs, runs to his dad. His dad is able to say, call the the police, call the police. And he does. Um, He says, gives him the address. There's been an accident. Uh, My dad's badly hurt. There's a woman that's hurt. Um, An accident? Sir. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's been no accident. (laughs) And... um, we see Oema and Asami. They're both lying motionless on the floor in a way that they can make perfect eye contact. So they're facing each other from her at the foot of the stairs and him in the living room. And she's looking at him and she says in her very um, kind of angelic voice, like, I'd been waiting for your call. I thought I'd never see you again. I'm so happy. I can't stop smiling. She basically just starts like reciting all the lines she had said to him throughout their dates, I've been on my own all my life, never had anyone to talk to. You understand and accept me. Um, and then it goes to him and we hear a voiceover from Oema saying, it'll be hard to get over, but you'll find one day that life is wonderful. And then it cuts to seven-year-old Asami in the ballet studio tying up her ballet shoes. And that's the end of the movie. <sighs> What? Isn't it crazy? <laughs> that went there so hard. For yeah, for anyone who wasn't expecting it to be that, like definitely um, Emily's in shock. Emily's at worse than Event Horizon. No. <laughs> it's not. Nothing is worse that than Event really Horizon. I'm really upset. I'm I'm really upset that his son didn't come home before he lost his foot. I'm yeah. really upset about that. Whew. I'm really upset. I'm really upset, too. I don't understand, like, what? I I still don't understand. I still don't understand people who watch movies like this and are like, love every second of it. Or just like, are like, yes, give me more of that. I want to spend my time watching someone really abuse a child. (laughs) It's It's a really tough one. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it. Wow. But people do. Lots of people do. That vomit part really so, oh made god. me want to oh die. Oh my god. And apparently, <laughs> one of the trivia no. is, is that she really vomited. She's a method actress and she wanted it to be real. I don't think the man had to drink her real vomit, but she did for real vomit into the dog food bowl. <laughs> that is so gross. 
I am. I, I this ruined this ruined yeah, my day. It's not a fun one. It's definitely not a feel good movie. And I felt bad for a while after. I feel like um, that doesn't usually happen to me. I'm usually kind of able to like disconnect from it or like yeah, yeah. But this just made you feel bad. It made me feel really bad, <laughs> and just the idea of like someone coming into your house when you're not home and like waiting for you to torture you. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. No, I don't. Not a fan. No, I'm not a fan of that at all. No, thank you. Um, and I don't think it's, I wouldn't call it a feminist film personally. I can see how people might think that. No, I wouldn't call it that. It doesn't feel that way to me. Uh, 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 that was really hard. That was really hard. I'm glad. I will say, I will say I'm just, I'm glad that the bad part didn't last longer. I I thought that like, yeah, I thought it would be more of it. I thought there was going to be more bad things and I thought there was going to be like more of like the man involved and all of that. But yeah. Yeah, the pacing is really good. I will say that it's it's I did enjoy that it's such a slow burn in the beginning and then just gets like batshit for 30 minutes. I liked the pacing. And that's all I liked. Oh, Jesus <laughs> um okay, well, I'm like stunned in, stunned into silence. It's just like so wild to me. That we do this. <laughs> Wait. Like, you, the three of us, that we do this. <laughs> I never would have ever expected that this would be what I do. No, no. I'm also going to go, like, take care of my, like, infant son after this. And the only thing I'm going to be able to think about is this movie. <laughs> Let's give you something else to think about. Let's give you something else to think about. What else could it be? What else could it be? Long-haired dogs. Long-haired dogs. <laughs> There's... New episodes of Ted Lasso. Long-haired dogs. Long-haired dogs. That's right. There is. I'm going to watch Ted Lasso. But a dog does. <laughs> does die in the most <laughs> yeah. The first episode of Dog Dies. Is it's it a fluffy dog? spoiler because it is the first thing that happens. It's the first but thing But I was happens. shocked. And I'll say I was shocked. <laughs> I was not. I did not expect that. But it's a short-haired dog. Don't worry. It is a short-haired dog. Then we're fine. Then we're chilling. We're fine. I really love, I'm, gl- I really, you know, I'm glad that we do this. But not this particular but not, one. Not in this moment, but in general, just 100 episodes in, I think it's very cool. I think it's cool, too. I love you guys so much. I love you guys so much. I remember, was it before or after the earthquake that we solidified our plans to do this podcast? Oh, that's a good question. I think I after. Think it was- Oh, was it I before? Think it, I think it might have been before. Maybe oh, it was you're after. Right. It, no, it was before because we took all those pictures. All those pictures were before were the earthquake. Before yes. the earthquake. But I just remember a beautiful summer eve, right before a big earthquake, <laughs> <laughs> deciding to do this. And I didn't, we didn't know what it would be like and, and how we would do it and if it would be interesting. We just wanted to do it and we've done it. For a hundred years. years. A hundred years is what I meant to say. And I just feel very grateful. I feel very grateful. Me too. I feel very grateful too. Because also, I, you know, don't live in the same city as you guys anymore. And now I get, to, I still get to see you all the time. Thank God. All the time. 
You're, through a whole pandemic. Yeah, thank God. You thank were God. my like only social connection through the whole pandemic. And what the hell would I have done? What the hell would I have done? I don't even want to think that. about it. I, I don't even want to think about it. That's the real horror. I don't want to think about it. And even like you have a new baby and it's really hard. Um, and we still get to force you to hang out with us <laughs> because we have to. Yeah. And, and that's, very, it's that's great. very nice, too. It's great. It's it's really good. You guys are still my only social connection. Oh, my God. You guys, I just remembered we have to watch the trailer. <gasps> oh, fuck. No. <laughs> Sorry, Do we, but have we, were, to? we had we we had moved on. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, let's do okay. it fast. Let's do it fast. Yep, let's do it. God damn it! At least fast. Yeah, it could have been worse. Oh, could have okay. been worse. Oh, thank God, thank God. <laughs> could have been worse. But yeah, Sammy, you're not allowed to go back to acupuncture after that. Isn't after it so? Movie. I know. You really have to take a break. Yeah, you have to take have a break. Simply must. Acupuncture is scary <sighs> regularly. Now I'm going to be thinking about this. <sighs> Fuck. So this, Fuck this movie. movie ruined a lot of things for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Our days, yeah. our future acupuncture appointments. Fuck this. Dating. Hell no. <laughs> dating. <laughs> dating is out the window now. Oh, no. Auditions. Well, we did it. Auditions. We did it. I'm sorry to everybody. On- honestly, listeners kind of sort of picked it. It was second number two, runner up. Runner up. We were going to have to do it eventually. Yeah. It was going to have to. It's going to have to happen. And it happened. And we did it. Are there any... And there you go. Should we say kitty, kitty, kitty as our uh, farewell? <laughs> yeah. And this will just go straight into the Amityville Horror Recap. So enjoy that. And yeah. Until next time. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Ah! Kitty, kitty. <laughs> Speaking of our wonderful listeners, you guys chose... Our movie for our 100th episode on our Instagram. Yeah. And it is the Amityville Horror, the original that came out in 1979. And apparently there was some mixed reactions from uh, our listeners. So anyone who's very upset about this choice, I'm sorry. So sorry. But we're going to have some fun either way. It's one that I've, in my head, I'm like, I know of it. And I feel like I know that it's really scary. And also it's like, based on a true story and there's a real house where like all these murders ha- like I'm I'm very intrigued by that element of it that mm-hmm. it like in real life is a scary place and thing yeah but I don't know anything about the movie yeah so. I hadn't seen it this was my first time seeing it Woo! Um, it was directed by Stuart Rosenberg written by Sander Stern uh, based on a 
book by Jay Anson that is based on the story by George and Kathy Lutz, who are the real life people who lived in this house. Um, It is starring James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger, Don Stroud and Marie Hamilton. And it is streaming on HBO Max. Ooh. And as a fun little thing for us to be doing with this movie, you may know, listeners, if you're if you are patrons on our Patreon, our one and only Samantha Smart made bingo cards for horror movie bingo, mm-hmm. which we will be playing as we listen. Yes, I will be calling out when to mark your bingo cards. So if you got a bingo card, pull it out, baby. And if you don't, you should probably get one. Head to that Patreon, baby. <laughs> Patreon.com slash TSDW podcast. Get your very own bingo card. I think they're pretty cool. <laughs> I think they're pretty cool. <laughs> um, okay, so the Amityville horror. Here's where I can kind of see where maybe some people were upset because this surprised me. Mm. 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. 20, 28% on Metacritic. But still the standard 6.2 on IMDb. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's, this, I feel like this is such a famous movie. Or is I it know. just that Amityville is such a famous thing in and of itself? Because, like, how, why do I even know about it if it's a bad movie? Well, there's been sequels. There was a remake in 2005. Um, it intersects a bit with the Conjuring oh, universe, yes. which we'll talk a little bit about. Mm. But, um, so, yeah, I think it's just... And it's probably like there's haunted houses about it. Every Halloween, it probably is yeah, featured yeah, somewhere yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It's just, yeah. But I I assumed because it is so prevalent to, still to this day that it would be good. But Was it not good? I, did, I mean, I didn't think it was bad, but I'm surprised that people really hate it. Interesting. So some trivia for us. It is, as we said, based on a true story. So it takes place in a house. It's like a couple that moves into a house after a murder was committed there and strange things start happening to the couple. Did they know that the murder, that murders were committed there? Yes. They did know. I hope they got a great deal. I think they did. (laughs) Great. So this is a practical couple making good choices. Mm -hmm. Um, Both James Brolin and Margot Kidder, who are the actors that play the couple in the movie, went on record saying they don't believe the story. And I didn't look too much into the story, but um, it does seem that most people do not believe them. And it may have even been fully debunked and like they were just trying to make money and knew that it would be uh, get them attention and publicity Mm. and stuff. And so, well, that's not good news for the uh, reputation of the Warrens. Who are they lying? We don't know. Conjur- they're the conjuring couple. Conjuring couple. Yeah, I don't. I I know that they did investigate this. It was like the thing that got them some of their fame. I think was was researching yeah. Amityville. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I feel pretty sure that Ed and Ed and Lorraine are a bit griftery, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I've cut. Well, we'll talk. Well, I think they believe what they're doing i just don't think that it's real <laughs> right um okay some more trivia it was nominated for best score at the oscars uh for lalo Schifrin, um because the movie was made on a relatively modest budget 
James Brolin took less money up front, but with a promise of 10% of the gross sales after its release. After the movie became an unexpected blockbuster, he eventually received about $17 million. If adjusted for inflation, that would be equivalent to a little over $55 million. In, two, in 2014 dollars so this trivia must be a couple years old <laughs> no they probably wrote it this year in 2014 <laughs> <laughs> um, and I liked this one it says in hopes of creating more publicity for the film the studio would concoct stories of weird occurrences on the set of the film like there's no trivia of weird occurrences happening They're just like, it's we just made like, it up. we made it up and I appreciate that um, this one I like. Cinematographer Fred J. Uh, uh, Konekamp admitted to having a hard time filming the scenes with flies. There are some flies Ew. in this movie. As he claimed to be scared of insects. He says that whenever he was to film a scene with a close-up facial shot of a fly right in the camera, he would look away or close his eyes and hope, <laughs> and hope for a good shot. Sir, he, sir, no. No, that's, that's literally your job. And he also lost nearly 30 pounds because he refused to eat, saying the flies made him lose his appetite. Sir. 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 I mean, the film, the filming, I think, only took place over seven weeks. Losing 30 pounds in seven weeks is crazy. I think something else is going on with this guy. I hope he's okay. Um, And some casting what ifs for the role of George Lutz. They considered Harrison Ford. Burt Reynolds, James Caan, and Christopher Reeve. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then our Conjuring trivia, the true story behind the movie has a special relationship with two modern hor- horror films, The Conjuring and Annabelle. The Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, were also involved with the investigation of the real real house and served as demonology advisors for the sequel, Amityville 2, The Possession. Oddly enough, Amy's doll is a Raggedy Ann, which is what the real Annabelle is. Uh. Spooky. Um, sh- that's all I've got. So should we watch this trailer? I guess so. <laughs> it's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger, in the Amityville Horror. God's peace in this house. Kathy? Father Delaney, there's something very important.
I'm coming apart! Oh, Mother of God, I'm coming apart! Twenty-eight days after the Lutz family moved into their dream house, they were running for their lives. What happened to them is an experience in terror you will never forget. And you will believe in the Amityville Horror. From the best-selling book that made millions believe in the unbelievable, the Amityville Horror. Okay, so we open with credits rolling over the spooky house at nighttime. The windows are lit up. It's in the middle of a storm. There's thunder and lightning and two lightning crashes happen. And then we see two gunshots happen inside the house. So the windows light up with the with the gunfire and we see the gunshots move from window to window. And then some text pops up and says, November 13th, 1974, Amityville, Long Island, a mother, father, and four of their children murdered. No apparent motive. This is the part that is very much real. And it was, his name is Ronald DeFeo Jr. And he killed, it was his family. He killed his mother, father, and his four siblings. Oh my God. And he is still in prison, I believe. Because he was young then, probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. So then text pops up. It's daytime now. It's sunny and nice out. Says one year later and the music is going. La, 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 la. And we meet George and Kathy Lutz. They are being shown the house by a realtor. And they are newlyweds. They seem very in love. They really love the house. The realtor is, you know, showing them around, saying, like, you won't get anything like this for this price. And they ask for a moment alone um, up in the attic. If you have attic on your bingo cards. I do! (laughs) I do as well. (laughs) Um, And so they get a moment alone to kind of talk about it. And they say... $80,000, it's like a very good price. This house must be worth $120,000. These lucky people (laughs) in this lucky time. Um, And I'm at this point thinking like, oh, they're just like straight up not telling them about the murders that happened. That's pretty rude. But then they're like, but then Kathy says, well, I don't like that all those people were murdered here. And George is like, well, I, you know, I don't like it either, but it's like makes the house way cheaper. And houses don't have memories. And then there she's Kathy says, like, I love it. We should do it. He's saying I can move my my work office here. That'll save us money. And so they decide they're going to do it. And they're touring the rest of the house. And during the tour, there's like loud flashbacks to the murders happening in each room. So the realtor will open a door and then it's like, and we see the carnage that happened there previously. Um, All the jump scares are so loud. (laughs) And we see that this house also has a basement. Mark your bingos. Got it. 
And guess what they're about to do? They're about to move to a new house. So if you have that, some some of the bingos have that on there, too. All right. So Kathy has three children from a previous marriage. Yeah, I'd call James Berlin a hot dad. Let's yeah, let's do it. Um, so we see them moving in and we see that George is not great with the kids and says something like if they'd start calling me dad, um, instead of George, that'd be nice. And he's kind of a dick about it. Like, that's weird. Not the right way to get children to like you. And Kathy's like, oh, they like you. Like, just give them time. It's, it's going to take time. Um, we don't ever find out what happened to their dad or her previous husband. Um, and as they're unpacking boxes, uh, George pulls out a metal cross and says, what do you want to do with this? A religious icon. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Kathy says that will look great on that wall over there. The light will hit it just right. So they hang their cross on the wall. You gotta have the light hit your cross. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's a very strange moment. But they hang it and the light does hit it and it reflects off the metal. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. perfect spot Absolutely for this. gorgeous. And then as a family, they go out to the water. There's a boathouse also. So they're getting, getting ready to take the boat out, enjoy their new home. And as they're out on the boat, a priest comes to the house. This is Father Delaney. And he's kind of calling out Kathy, Kathy. So they've apparently called him there to bless the house, but they're now gone. And so, but the door is open. So he goes in and just starts kind of blessing the house and pretty quickly starts feeling a negative presence or something. He is getting some weird effects of being in this house, kind of uh, getting out of breath or like he's getting really nauseous or something is happening and he goes he hears children's laughter coming from a room and he's like oh did the kids stay back um are they here goes into this room upstairs it's empty there's no kids in there um and this room is where he really starts feeling something and then some flies start landing on the window he walks up to kind of inspect what's going on here and then more and more flies start appearing and he's getting really, really sweaty and all these flies are landing on him and it goes from two flies to about a hundred flies pretty quick. And he seems to be unable to kind of walk. He's kind of frozen, um, sweating, like he's getting really sick and uh, the buzzing is really loud and we get really close close-ups of the flies doing their little hand thing <laughs> and buzzing they're like and yeah, um, flies do so much little hand stuff they love hand they love doing their little they hands love their little hands <laughs> <laughs> um and they rubbed they rubbed honey on the actor in order to get them to oh land that on sucks <laughs> Ew. Um, and so the buzzing's very loud, and then all of a sudden it gets completely quiet, and he just hears a very demonic sounding voice say, "Get out." get out and <laughs> he he kind of snaps back to runs out runs out of the house gets in his car drives drives home then back the family comes back to the house doesn't even know don't even know that he was there 
Um, and Amy, their the daughter, is starting to feel kind of sick too and act a, act a little strangely. So they kind of put her in bed early and tell her to tell her to rest. Um, Father Delaney tries to call them to tell them something's very wrong with your house and the phone line is just static and he's yelling into the phone, Kathy, Kathy, I need to tell you about the house and she's just hearing can't contact them. Oh, also they are, they are hearing kind of throughout mysterious this noises. some mysterious noises. That's okay. right. Mark your bingo. I'm marking it, baby. I'm marking it. Oh, and also when Father Delaney calls, he gets like a, a burn on his hand from the receiver <gasps> of the phone. Ouch. And <laughs> don't do it. I didn't do it. I thought about it, too, but I didn't do it. Oh, we talked about it. <laughs> I did it. I had to. It was in the air. It was in the air. I can't not think about it, it every time air. we say ouch now. Oh, boy. <laughs> so... Um, that evening, George is, I don't know, he's been unpacking boxes and working on the house and doing stuff. And he comes into the kitchen to talk to Kathy and says, like, it's really cold in here. This place is supposed to be well insulated. And they look at the thermostat and it's set to 72 and he is shivering and he's getting really aggravated about this. Like, what did we buy? Like a piece of shit house? Like, it's supposed to be well insulated. Um, he's seeming irritable. Mm. Um, then that night, uh, they are getting ready for bed, and Kathy is in what I could describe as a nasty nightgown. Would you describe it that way? I would. I, okay. I, and I will. And mark your bingo. <laughs> um, and they have sex their first night in their in their new house. They're <laughs> going to say their first time. <laughs> um, and they're having sex. And then no, we, that's how you bless a house. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> then um, we see the door starting to creak open and push open and they're not noticing and then it opens all the way and it's amy and she's feeling sick again and she's kind of crying and kathy jumps out of bed to to go get her back in bed and amy says i want to go home like i don't like it here um and she puts amy back in bed and um amy falls back asleep and it's fine and george and kathy are kind of like oh that's gonna be happening we're gonna have to get used to that like having the kids here and they're gonna be walking in on us and george doesn't seem thrilled about this um then they go to bed and that night uh at exactly three fifteen, which i feel like is another conjuring thing there's at least a time at night that there's occurrence time. happens in the conjuring but we yeah. see the we see the clock next to the bed stand turn to three fifteen, and george george's eyes open and he gets up like he's maybe hearing something or sensing something. He just has to get out of bed and he gets he steps out of bed and he puts on jeans. Isn't that insane? That's very <laughs> crazy. Like, well, I guess he's very cold. That's true. But they're like laying pretty um, weird like next to his bed ready to go like this. is He just wakes up and puts his jeans on. I'd like never put jeans on if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, no. 
Um, anyways, I thought it was weird. <laughs> and so I wrote it down. Um, and he goes and sees that that same window that the flies were all at is open. There's no flies there anymore, but there is a draft coming from this room and he finds it, closes that window. And then as he's closing it, he sees outside at the boathouse, the boathouse light is on and the door is kind of waving in the wind, opening and closed. And so he pulls on a coat, no shirt. So he's in a jeans, no shirt and like a fur winter coat. It's a great look. That's a fun look. And he goes outside to investigate and they have a dog. The dog's name is Harry. And he kind of walks by the dog and is like, what a great guard dog you are. And Harry's just sleeping, doesn't even care. And him and Harry go to go to check out the boathouse. No, nothing in there. The light's just on. He turns it off um, and he goes back inside and kind of collapses on a chair on the on the first floor of the house like he's tired and not making it back up to the the room and as he is kind of sitting back in this chair a cat pops in the window and goes (laughs) like the loudest (laughs) the loudest cat hiss scream thing and i was watching this with bunk sleeping next to me and bunk jumped up and got so scared and then this morning i was taking notes and it played again and bunk was Ah! sleeping by the front door and again jumped and like ran into my room so i know that this 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 part really got bunk twice bad for cats bad for cats (laughs) yeah uh the next day he is chopping some wood george getting real sweaty he pretty quickly he starts having a jack torrance vibe like in the shining like he's just kind of seeming not himself even though we just met him but it's not seeming good would you say he has a a wood chopper's physique um he's wearing a big old baggy sweatshirt unfortunately oh bummer um, but yes, I think so. Similar to the hot dad from the witch. Hot dad and the witch. <laughs> um, and Kathy comes home from getting groceries and decides to sneak up on him while he's chopping wood, which is holy shit, so crazy. She's like tiptoeing with like a big smile on her face, like I'm gonna get him so good. Oh <laughs> so, no, like, Kathy, Kathy! Kathy, what are you doing? He has an axe. <laughs> And she does scare him and he like immediately starts screaming at her like, are you insane? Like, don't scare a person with an axe, which like he's absolutely right. You got you got to give him this one. He's been an asshole other times, but this time he's right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And she tells him that her family is coming over and this is a big deal for her because this is she's the first one in the family to buy a house. And he's like very annoyed that the family has to come over and she's like, please, like it's it's a it's a big deal. They're all just really happy for me. And he's like, oh, like, fine. (laughs) Just like constantly mad about everything. Irritable. James Brolin, I guess, said that he didn't get any acting jobs for two years after this movie because his character is like such an asshole that apparently people didn't want to work with him. But he's like actually really good in this movie. He got work after that, though. I'm sure he's yeah, he's fine. I think we're certainly starting to see some relationship trouble. Market, market, let's do it dysfunctional family relationship trouble freaking do it and then inside the house kathy's doing dishes and kind of senses something and turns around and is walking towards the basement and then like 
comes back to she's like mm, oh it's probably just nothing turns around to go back to the kitchen and there's a jump scare that jody is i mean uh uh amy is standing there and uh i think this counts as a creepy kid this is oh, we're getting into creepy yeah. kid territory oh fuck yeah and she said because here's what she says she says my friend jody wants to play upstairs and mm-hmm. there's no jody here and mm-hmm. kathy just thinks it's cute like okay you and your friend jody go play upstairs that's fine it's never cute it's never cute <laughs> Um, so then Kathy calls Father Delaney to check in on when he's coming to bless the house and another priest answers. It's Father Bolin and he informs her that Father Delaney is like really, really ill and can't speak. We see that he's basically in like a hospital bed Mm. and she says, oh, he was supposed to come bless the house. But it can totally wait until he's feeling better, like send him, like send him my regards. And Father Bolin says, wait, but he did come to your house. And she's like, no, he we were expecting him and he never showed up. And he's like, well, he definitely came. He definitely left here to go to your house. And that's when he came back feeling really bad. She's like, huh? Well, yeah, no, we didn't see him. But like when he's feeling better, give me a call back and we'll um, I want to talk to him. Um, and so now they're getting ready for the family to come visit. And it's just one of her aunts coming to visit. And right as she is about to arrive, some black tar looking substance starts spouting out of all of the toilets. They're overflowing with (laughs) overflowing with black liquid. And, um, Kathy's like very embarrassed by this and like, yeah yeah she's like hide it close the door he's like don't let her see don't let her pee don't let her pee (laughs) and so they're all upstairs trying to deal with the toilets and we see the aunt arrive and she is a nun in full nun nun garb Mm. a habit a habit and she like also finds the front door open so she just lets herself in she seems very sweet and she's excited and really smiley and then um she's brought a little potted plant and within taking a few steps into the house she is overcome by the same thing that we saw father delaney be overcome by like she starts really sweating she drops the potted plant it shatters Kathy runs Mm. downstairs hearing her and is like, oh, my God, are you okay? What's going on? And she's just like, I have to go. I have to go. I feel really sick. I need to get out of here. And Kathy's like, no, please. Like, what can I get you? Can I get you water? Can I get you tea? And she says, like, no, I got to get out of here. Basically Mm. pushes Kathy away, runs out the front door, runs in her car, drives off. Um, And then we see as she's driving, she, like, makes it. a a couple miles away and then has to pull over (laughs) and opens the door to throw up and the the door covers her face as she leans down to throw up (laughs) and the sounds this actress makes are like (laughs) 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 like it's the craziest vomit sounds it made me laugh so much (laughs) oh i loved it um then back at the house we see george just staring into the fireplace he has built he has made a fire with his firewood that he's been chopping nonstop, and he just is unblinkingly staring into the fire but to be fair fire is super hypnotizing and i have for sure done this as well I love staring at fire <laughs> but 
it doesn't look normal for him. And mm-hmm. he's starting to get kind of pale and some dark circles under his eyes. And Kathy uh, finds him and is like, oh, like maybe you're getting sick. Like maybe you and Amy have the same thing. Like you're both you've both been seeming a little under the weather. You should sleep in tomorrow. And he says, I can't sleep in. I don't want to be up to my neck in boxes forever. And just like really snaps at her. And she's like, okay. Um, and they go up to bed and again at th- exactly 3.15 in the morning, Kathy shoots upright and screams, ah, she was shot in the head and then lays back down and is still asleep. And so it obviously wakes George up and he just kind of looks over at her like, uh, <laughs> very unnerved by that. And... Um, then the next day we see, uh, father Delaney has, has woken up and is basically told, told father Brolin or Bolin that we need to go to the house. Like something's wrong. I need to tell them. I haven't been able to contact them. We just got to go there and tell them. And so father Bolin and father Delaney are driving to the house and on the way there, they lose control of the car and the, does it break <laughs> the, the hood flies up cu- b- blocking their view and they lose control and they get in an accident it doesn't even break down but i think we should just say it but i mean it seems like the car's not doing great the car's not doing great right click click mark your click bingo. it click it <laughs> <laughs> I'm mar- baby I'm marking it even though I know I'm not going to get this row because another thing on there is a cave and I don't really see that coming up anytime soon <laughs> but Probably hey not. you never know it could be a twist um so then we see back at the house they are getting ready for Kathy's brother's wedding day and there had been some mention of this because George is the best man. And that was another thing that he's like, I can't be sick. Like, I'm the best man at your brother's wedding. I got to be healthy for tomorrow. So we see George come out in his suit and he looks like so bad. He's just <laughs> so sweaty. His face is like almost purple now. It's like pale and then really purple underneath his eyes. He's not looking his best. And before he comes comes in we see Kathy and her brother and her brother is meticulously counting out like a stack of hundreds um and it's fifteen hundred dollars that he needs to pay the caterer and he's like you could tell he's nervous wedding day jitters and Kathy's kind of like yeah you've counted it a bunch of times like it's fifteen hundred dollars like it's gonna be fine like just like you're good this is gonna be a great day and I'm so happy for you and then George walks in looking like shit and he's like, oh, like, I'm so happy for you, too. I, this is great for me, too. I'm having a good day also. Um, <laughs> and as they all get ready to leave, uh, a babysitter arrives to watch Amy. I have babysitter on mine. Looks like you guys do. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and this babysitter is in full headgear, which do they do headgear anymore? I don't think they I like today's yeah. teens could never. I feel like I feel like you only do it if you had to have like surgery. 
where they like, you know, move your jaw or something. Yeah. Um, well, this babysitter has arrived to take care of Amy because she's going to stay home because she's not feeling well. And so the rest of the family leaves Amy and the babysitter at the house. And as they're leaving, uh, the brother is like, where's my $1,500? I just had it in my pocket and it is just gone. He's looking there on their hands and knees looking for this money. They can't find it. He starts completely freaking out. He's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. What am I going to do? And George says, it was just here. Like, it's got to be here. It's fine. Like, we'll find it when we get back. We're in a hurry now. I'll pay for it. And you can pay me back when we find it. Like, I'll just take the money when you find it. And he's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. So they leave to go. Then at home, we see the babysitter putting Amy to bed and said, saying, like, my, your mom told me to put you to bed early because you're sick. And she says, no, I want to play with Jody. I want to play with Jody. She's like, don't give me attitude. We're going to bed. And she goes into the closet to try to grab her, I don't know, blanket or something. And the closet door slams closed behind her and locks her in there. Uh And she immediately is like completely freaking out. It's very funny. Because like there's like, yeah, it would be a little you'd have a little fright from the door slamming, but I wouldn't immediately be like, oh, my God, (laughs) she turns it up to 11 real quick and Mm -hmm. she is banging on the door. Amy, let me out. Let me out. And we see Amy just sitting in her bed, like staring at the door. She's not moving to help her. And. Uh, the babysitter is pounding on the door so hard that her knuckles start to bleed. And we see it's like within a matter of minutes (laughs) like that. She is just acting like she's about to die. Um, And then the power goes out. Ah! Man, fingers crossed for a cave. Um, but so the lights go out in the closet and the babysitter's freaking out even more. We see at the wedding, George continues to be really ornery (laughs) Mm. and he, the, he pays by check and the caterers, like I said, cash and he's like, you'll take my check or you'll eat your own goddamn food. And (laughs) Kathy sees this and is like, oh, he's been pretty weird lately. Um, also, I guess I should point out that Kathy is Catholic and George is, is not. Mm. And so after the wedding, they come home, they find the babysitter locked in the closet crying. She's kind of crumpled on the floor now, like, like sobbing, like she's exhausted from trying to get out. And they are turned to Amy. Amy, why didn't you let her out? What the heck? What the freaking what the heck? heck, Amy? Amy, why the freaking heck? <laughs> and Amy says, Jody wouldn't let me. Jody wouldn't let me let her out. And jo- George sees this and says, this door doesn't lock. And after they get her out, they open and close it a bunch of times. There's no there's no lock on it. And so it's that's that's pretty weird. <laughs> And George loses his temper with Amy and says, these kids need some goddamn discipline. You don't discipline these kids enough. And Kathy um, looks shocked. And then George storms out of the room. And then Kathy turns and also screams at Amy like, we're we're 
the tensions are now high in this family. We're all, we're all, we're all screaming at each other. And Amy says to her mom, Jody doesn't like George. <laughs> and then we see the next day, George back to chopping his wood, looking very uh, unblinkingly chopping the wood. Mm. Not not looking good. And his a car pulls up and it his, is his business partner, Jeff, and his girlfriend, um, Carolyn. And they get out and she's like, oh, you didn't tell me their house was going to be so nice. Like, this is so fancy. And as they're approaching the house, Carolyn gets that same look as the um, priest and the nun did. And, but she just kind of gets like a shiver, like a chill and turns to Jeff and says, I'm I don't I don't want to go in. Like, I'll, I'm going to wait in the car. I don't want to go in there. And so she just waits in the car and Jeff finds George chopping his wood and it starts talking to him and telling like telling him like the I don't know um, payroll people have been trying to contact him. They ha- he has unpaid payroll for some of their employees and kind of bringing all these financial things to George be- be- being like basically we're falling behind financially in this company and George it's looking very unpredictable with his axe. He's looking like really angry and at, at one moment kind of stops chopping wood and turns to Jeff with the axe kind of wielded in a in a very aggressive manner and is like, don't you have any good news for me? And we're like, is he about to fucking chop his business partner? He doesn't. The business partner's like, yeah, I have your spotlight for your boat. I can go put it in. And that kind of brings George back to and he's like, okay, great. Thank you. And they like go and start installing the spotlight on the boat. Um, Then we see Amy playing outside with Jody. She's whispering like, Jody, like show me this or whatever. And the two other kids, brothers, there's two boys also are upstairs dangling something off a fishing wire to kind of fuck with Amy, like a little toy spider type thing and um kathy walks in and sees them messing with her and is like leave your sister alone and this is the same room and same window that all the flies were at that they're dangling this Mm. fishing wire out of and so as one of the boys is kind of pulling the fishing rod back in the window slams closed on his hand and it like ow bursts like blood sprays everywhere like it just is like so much blood and he's obviously screaming in pain and kathy and george run run up and are trying to open the window and they cannot budge the window and so Mm. the kid is just screaming and screaming and screaming and they just can't open the window and then it cuts to the emergency room so i guess eventually they got it they got it open his hand is now all bandaged up and it has not broken any bones. And they think that that is very strange. Um, and but so they they bring him back home and. Um, go every, everyone goes to bed and again at 315, George wakes up this time. He's wearing a long sleeve shirt and no pants. And it's kind of the reverse of the last outfit. Yeah. And <laughs> gets out of bed and hears he's hearing some buzzing and he opens that door to that room and it is filled with flies even more than before, probably thousands now. And 
he looks horrified and um then the house is making like noise and just everything's ramping up and feeling very stressful and then the front door explodes off the hinges and the basement door explodes off the hinges wakes the whole family up we're all scared now and george tells kathy call the police i don't know what's happening the police arrive and they kind of explain they're like i don't i don't know what's going on and this is the same detective that investigated the murders that happened there so he's a little Mm. clued into to what happened here and he looks at george and says were you related to the family that lived here before and he says what like no he's like you look a lot like the guy (gasps) weird (laughs) i mean there's nothing to be done they're just like okay well we'll make a report this is strange occurrences happening They'll, you know, we're going to get someone out to fix these doors in the morning. And um, as they, oh, when they like investigated the basement or um, went and looked down in the basement, they saw the dog, Harry, like clawing at a certain spot on the wall. There's kind of a stone wall and dog is really clawing at it. And they're like, Harry, stop it. Um, then Hmm. Kathy is crying and kind of says like, we've got to do something. Something is wrong. And so the next day, oh yeah. The next day, Kathy starts asking Amy about Jody. Like, okay, tell me more about your friend Jody. And she says, Jody used to live here. She told me about her brothers. They, um, they lived here too. All of them got hurt. They died. And Kathy is like, oh, fuck. Okay. Um, I got to call Father Delaney again and calls Father Delaney again. The static is happening. It's she can't actually speak to him. We see George going to the library, trying to see if he can, I don't know, find something there. It's not a research montage. I'm sorry. He just grabs one book off the shelf and... And it just happens to be the exact book that he needs. Maybe he spoke to someone before and asked about it. He might have spoken. Uh, But no, I think he actually steals the book. And so he like puts it in his pants and walks out. So I guess he wouldn't have asked anyone because that would have been a a, a giveaway. Anyways, so then George goes to the town bar and um, I guess we could call it heavy drinking. He's 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 definitely trying to drink his problems away. Hmm. Works every time. <laughs> Foolproof. And uh, his business partner, Jeff, meets him at the bar. And as the bartender is bringing the drinks over, he spills all of them. He looks like scared. And he says, oh, my God, I'm sorry. You look exactly like the guy that killed his whole family here. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, sorry about that. Like, let me get you some new drinks. Uh, So then they go back to just chatting and uh, again, George is being really short and irritable with his partner. He's like, I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about that shit. And eventually he snaps and he punches Jeff in the face. And Jeff is like, "Okay, now can we talk? Like, have you got it out of your system? He takes he takes it really well (laughs) for having just been. He's like, I can tell you're going through something. Tell me what's up. 
And so George takes the book out of his uh, pants and he's like, something's going on with my house. And they he's like, let me call Carolyn. She's in, in tune with this kind of stuff. She is a clairvoyant. I think counts as a psychic. Yes, baby. Also, when the phone rings, how loud is it? Um, it's this time not too loud, but there might be a loud phone ring coming up. Fuck yeah. Um, and you know what? I actually can't remember when the loud phone ring is. So mark it off now because there is one. And also, every time the phone rings, Father Delaney lets it ring like a hundred times. <laughs> it's so crazy because um, he's feeling stressed like he doesn't know if he wants to deal with this because right. what is he welcoming into his life? And so he always like stares at the phone for 10 rings before he answers it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just feeling bad for my my neighbors having to hear just a phone, a loud phone ring over and over and over. Um, uh, so we see Kathy back at the house is checking on everyone, all the kids in bed. It's nighttime again. And as that dang window with the flies on it is wide open again. And she goes up to close it. And as she closes it, two red eyes are looking back at her. She gets really scared. And we cut back to now George and Jeff have met up with Carolyn. The three of them are looking through this book and she says, it's right here. Like the place that your house was built used to be like a a witch lived there. A man who was persecuted for being a witch had built a house there. And so this is the same land. Um, And Jeff, (laughs) for some reason, I don't know if maybe the effects of the house are coming through from just them talking about it, but Jeff snaps at Carolyn in a really crazy way where he says, you sound like a psycho weirdo. Now do me a favor and shut up. And she's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's okay, like, it's, well, fair. It's, you asked me for help and then I sounded like a psycho weirdo, so you're fair. And she's like, stop being so rational, Jeff. Like, this, these things exist. Like, just accept it. And so they decide they've all got to go back to the house. And as they as they get out of the car, Carolyn is kind of drawn to the house now, kind of the opposite of before. She's like, I, I like it's alluring. I'm feeling drawn to it. And she says, I need to go to the basement. It's coming from the basement. And so her and Jeff go downstairs while George talks to Kathy. Kathy has just seen these eyes. So she's scared. George is like, we're going to figure this out. Don't worry. Down in the basement, Kathy goes, or I mean, Carolyn goes straight for that stone wall and mm-hmm. they see the dog still scratching at it. And Jeff runs to the dog and is like, no, no, it's OK. And we see that the dog's paws are completely bloody from just like scratching oh. and scratch. So Jeff finds like a towel and starts tending to the dog's paws. Carolyn finds a sledgehammer and starts banging at this stone wall. Jeff's like, what the fuck, Carolyn? You can't just start demolishing a wall in someone's house. And she's like, it's coming from there. It's coming from there. George runs down. It's like, what the fuck's going on? What are you doing to my house? And she's like, it's coming from there, George. It's coming from there. And he puts his hand up to it and can feel that there is a draft and there is something on the other side. And he's like, she's right. And he grabs a sledgehammer knocks down that stone wall, revealing a room that is completely red. 
And as he looks in it, a reflection of himself, a like disembodied reflection of himself stares back, like just a floating face staring back at him that briefly hypnotizes him. And Carolyn looks at it, her very wide eyed and then opens her mouth and the voice of Father Delaney comes out and says, it is the gates, the gate to hell. The gate to hell is in upstate New York. (laughs) And uh, we see Father Delaney in his office or room, wherever he is experiencing something as well like he is um sensing this there's more that happens with father delaney that i'm skipping because it's i don't know not that important but father delaney's going through a lot and after this he kind of um father father bolin doesn't know whether or not to kind of believe him that this is happening and after this Father Delaney gives like a very powerful speech and cries and at the end of the speech goes blind. Um, And Father Bolin is like, okay, like something's definitely happening, but gets Father Delaney kind of keeps him in his room or whatever, tending to him. He's like, we don't want this to get out. We don't want to publicize whatever's happening here whatever it is we don't want to be shouting it from the rooftops so kathy is then trying to find father delaney it's very important to her something very bad is happening and only finds father bolin and father bolin is pretty cagey with information and says like um like it's out of my hands like you father delaney is uh we can't reach him he's uh blind now so don't (laughs) worry about it (laughs) so that's a dead end for kathy and so kathy also goes to the library to look at um the microfiche of old newspaper clippings what a fun word it is fun i wish we had i wish we used the word microfiche more it's a good word i Goffingo. Woo! I, well, I sort of cheated because I, that's, I did car breaks down, so... I think it counts. But at any point, were we warned by a stranger? I don't think so. I mean... Okay, then no. That's fine. No, but I did get bingo. I didn't... That's... I want another bingo, but... I see. I got a psychic, a basement, a research montage, and car breaks down, and free space. Oh. Nice. The on, honor and dignity is yours thank you so much well let's keep going <laughs> the episode doesn't end just because i got big <laughs> anyway thanks for listening um 100 episodes this is what we do now so and she sees in the microfiche that he isn't george is indeed a spitting image of the man who killed his family yikes not what you want to learn freaks her out and but she runs she is like george and runs back to the house like she is scared not of him but for him which seems wrong um and so she's running to get george and um we see also at home that Amy is drawing on the wall a child child mm. drawing. She's just writing the name Jody in like crayon on the wall. No. Um, and we do see that at home George is uh, looking worse than ever. He is sharpening his axe. He is digging a hole. It doesn't seem good. <laughs> um, and he looks up at the house and 
sees a a, a pig demon uh, is the only way i can describe it it's okay. the, the same red eyes that we saw before but now we can see that they are on the body of a pig <laughs> kind of a ghost pig kathy uh gets home oh sorry also i don't remember when this happened but at one night at three fifteen, george gets up to go check and dl's like what do you want from us and kathy gets up to go check on him and checks the rooms of the kids and goes into Amy's room and finds him chopping her with an axe, blood everywhere. And then he turns on her with the axe and then uh, Kathy wakes up. So we got a dream, a dream sequence. Yeah, baby. And that's after that's the part in the trailer where he's downstairs and saying, I'm coming apart. I'm good. Dear God, I'm coming apart. Mm. Kathy runs down to help him. And he is um, he's like very quiet. And it's kind of like, oh, I think it was just a dream. It's OK. Like, I'm OK. And he's very. I'm not actually coming apart. It's okay. <laughs> I'm totally fine. And she sees uh, like punctures on his ankle and says, it looks like you've been bitten. Uh oh, by a pig? It looks like a little pig bite. And he says, Will you stop nagging me <laughs> about my pig bite? You're so <laughs> annoying, Kathy. And at some point, their uh, cross that they had hung on the wall has turned upside down. Oh, no. Um, and, anyways, okay, so back to George. Digging his hole, sharpening his axe. It's raining and nighttime, probably some thundering. And he starts calling out, Amy, Amy, with his axe. Oh, no. And Kathy has made it home. She was rushing home after she found uh, that he looks like the guy that killed his family. And she sees him from inside the house. She sees him coming to the house carrying an axe. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, she hides the kids in a closet or something, locks them in there. And he comes inside and is looking around in each room and eventually finds, I think Amy is crying, making noise because she's scared. And... So he locates where they are and he takes his axe and he starts chopping down the door again, very much like The Shining. They're all screaming inside. You mm -hmm, kind of see mm -hmm. him, his face um, through the little space that he's chopping. And then he, as he's about to get the door open, Kathy rushes him. She was, she's not inside the closet. She was waiting outside and she kind of like pins him down the axe um oh no he still has the axe and he's she just is like screaming like please like don't hurt my children don't hurt my children and he throws her off and turns the axe on her and for a second her face is an old woman's face she gets old for just this one shot mm. and he puts the axe down and like strikes her with the axe she rolls out dodges it and is sobbing hysterical her husband is tr trying to kill her and mm. that is, brings him back to reality and he snaps out of it and he's like oh my god i'm so sorry i'm so sorry like we gotta we gotta get out of here and she's like yeah like let's leave they get the kids they run out to the car he's seemingly himself again 
and the walls of the house start bleeding and it looks Ew. it looks really cool um but it's yeah it's nasty they're pulling a lot of shit from the shining in this one but it's before the shining the shining is 19 oh. the shining is 1980 and this is 79 oh kubrick you fucking thief um so they're running out they get into the car and they start driving away and then amy says harry harry we forgot harry and they forgot the dog Hmm. and kathy is like i don't fuck like no like i don't care keep driving fair (laughs) yeah but um george He's got to prove himself to those kids. He's trying to he's been trying to win them over. And so, well, and he just tried to murder them. <laughs> he gets out of the car, runs back to the house. Kathy screams, "No!" And he goes inside and he hears Harry down in the basement and he takes one step onto the basement stairs and falls through them. And the mm. stairs go over the red room, the gate, the gate to hell. Uh-oh. And he plummets right down into that room, which now has an open floor filled with that same black liquid, maybe blood even. I'm not quite a dark liquid. That's probably yes. what was coming out of the toilets before. Gets completely submerged in there and uh, starts trying to climb out. But he's now all slippery and sticky and struggling um and harry just starts attacking him because he's coming out of Uh, he's coming out of the gate of hell it seems you know and he's maybe covered in blood so harry is harry starts just biting his arms so he's trying to cut out he's like harry no it's me (laughs) it's me and uh, eventually he's able to get out he picks harry up like a baby and runs up to uh jumps over the part of the stairs that fell out gets out Um, The front door won't open, and so he breaks a window. They jump out a window. uh, They run to the car. He puts Harry in the car, gets in, and they drive away. And text comes up that says, George and Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaimed their house or their personal belongings. Today, they live in another state. Wow. Well, thanks, Sammy. Thanks, listeners. It's about time we probably did this one. Well, you guys, first of all, that's been an honor. <laughs> it's been an honor. <laughs> These hundred episodes have been an honor and a blessing. And yeah, I love you guys so much. Love all you listeners so much. And from all of us here, la la, la, la too scary, la, didn't la, watch, la la la, la, la goodbye, la, 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 la. <laughs> La la. Hundred episodes, we never figured out a better way to end them. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. A hundred episodes in the can, as they say. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your episodes. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would be a great anniversary gift. Uh, You can also follow us on social media at TSDW Podcast. And don't forget that the audition portion of this episode was also recorded as a video episode, which is available on our Patreon. You can join there to watch that. See some of Emily and Henley's big reactions on camera. Um, Otherwise, we will be back next week with a regular episode, and we will talk to you then. We love you so goddamn much. Bye!